You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Have you approached life ever from just an intellectual, logical viewpoint? Maybe in pursuit of a relationship, you have a list of, this is the type of spouse that you might want to have, an employee that you want to have, a friend that you would like to have, and you you have this bullet point list of, of these things. And yet, you leave out the emotion of it, the passion and the feeling. Maybe you've approached life in an intellectual or logical way in how you process your grief or loss. You surmise that grieving is only for those who can't control their emotions. Or you maybe believe that grieving is for those who uh, aren't a Christian. That Christians shouldn't have to grieve because we have the hope set before us, as Paul tells us in Thessalonians. But we shouldn't have to feel and grieve in the way that others do. And so we stuff our emotions and we don't invite that pain in to process and have those feelings. Have you approached life perhaps intellectually? I'm going to get that word yet. Intellectually, intellectually or logically, and how you process even injustice. You analyze it like the disciples did in John chapter 9 where they encountered the man who was blind from birth and they asked Jesus, what, what happened? Was it his parents or him that sinned that caused this? And so you think that there's this cause and effect sense of justice of, in life and, and there's, there's nothing else involved in it. Or perhaps you're on the other side of the spectrum. You approach life allowing your emotions to rule your relationship. You fall in like with someone, and I'm specifically saying in like, because you don't fall into love according to what Scripture says about love. You choose to love. You fall in like with someone because you feel good when you're around them. Love is not about how you feel. Love is actually about serving the other person and honoring the other person. The feel-good feelings happen after you choose to serve, per Scripture. But you go into these relationships and ignore the warnings of Scripture even, or, or wise counsel from friends and family, because it's all about how you feel and in the moment, and you even think it's all going to work out because I feel good. It just feels right. Or have you approached life allowing your emotions to rule in your loss or grief? After reasonable amounts of time of grief and mourning, you're, you're still completely inconsolable, unable to get out of bed or go to work or, or move forward in life. Notice I didn't say move on. You don't move on from significant loss. But by God's grace, we can move forward. And so your emotions cloud your ability to function and process and move forward, rejecting the promises of, of God and the hope that we have in our future with Him. Or Perhaps you've allowed your emotions to rule your life and how you approach injustice. 
You are only for your cause. And because those emotions are clouding your judgment as you are going after that cause or pursuing that cause or living for that cause, you neglect those who have a different viewpoint. In fact, you reject and shun them. You, you think them of lesser. You critique them and condemn them. Realizing that they have a story. They have a background and there's a reason why they believe what they believe or say what they say or choose to do what they do. And like we talked about during our two-week series on being practically and holistically pro-life, those moms who feel trapped in their situation, who don't feel like there's any other way out but to end the life of their baby. And so we, we choose to not engage because we're so emotionally into our cause, we, we neglect the other side and the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. As we jump back into our series in Colossians, we've taken quite a break here. As we're jumping back into Colossians with both feet this morning. Our scripture passage at the beginning of chapter 3 here tells us exactly how God desires for us to seek him with both our intelligence, our head, as well as with our heart and our emotions. He created us with both. Our emotions weren't an accident, nor was our intellect an annoying thing to push aside. And some of us are going to naturally be more intellectual. intellectual. Man, I'm going to get that word. Work with me here. Intellectual. Say it with me. Maybe that'll help. Intellectual. Thank you. Thank you. That helps. Some of us are going to be naturally more intellectual. Some of us are going to be naturally more emotional. Neither is bad. Okay? God created you with both. However, he gives us the opportunity to become more Christ-like where we are balanced in both. Not being too far one side, too far in the other. In our passage this morning, Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to this young church in Colossae many, many years ago. A letter that still applies to us as believers, the church today. Expressing this very thing in the pursuit of Christ. And so this morning's title is Intelligent Emotions in Pursuing Christ. So that we use our mind and our emotions in how we pursue Christ. And thus, as we do it, we will be able to use both as we go about our lives in serving Him and loving Him. As you will recall, if you were here with us or if you weren't, check them out on our website. All the sermons should still be there, last I checked, to check, catch up from chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2 were all about the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ. So Paul lays out the doctrine, the knowledge part of the supremacy of Christ. And in chapters 3 and the remainder of the book, he goes into more of the practical application to where our hearts follow what our heads know, and we live it out. You guys remember, if you were here with Chris Marsh a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke about the word compassion. That word in the Greek means it's that gut feeling inside us that moves us, that causes us to move towards an action or towards somebody. Well, you had to come to know what that thing is or that situation is, Thus, that causing us to want to move and step into and engage and do something about that. And so that's kind of where we're going with the rest of this letter. 
the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, it starts with these two words, if then. And so, just a little tidbit here. When we see the words, if then, or so then, or therefore, in Scripture, we don't ever really want to start there. We want to see what's going on before it so we understand the context of what's being said. So this morning, even though our verses are technically 1 through 4 of chapter 3, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 20, okay? We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 20, in the book of Colossians. All right, if you would, stand with me if you're willing and able while we read God's Word. Starting in chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So put on your thinking caps and open up your heart to God's word and let's let's dive in here and look for this treasure that is in the truth of God's word. Verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand hand of God. Now to be raised with Christ, referring to if then, what Paul just previously spoke about, to be raised with Christ is our salvation. Our salvation by grace through faith. To those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay? And then as it says at the end of chapter 2 that we just read, the believers, those of us who have chosen to believe in Christ, By his grace, through faith, we have died to the things of the world. Died to the legalism that we talked about. Died to man's wisdom and to self-made religion. Everything outside of what is in Scripture is man-made. Things of the world, self-made religion. Everything else. If it varies from this, it's not from God. Therefore, it is from man, ultimately from Satan, trying to deceive us. So if we are now made new in Christ as a believer, the old is gone. It's dead. It's buried. And the new has come. Are you tracking with me? Think about that. It's old, it's dead, it's gone, it's buried. Can you say that about your old life? See, we have never truly been fully alive until we have been raised into new life with Christ. 
If you don't know him here this morning, you might have had some peaks in your life where things were good, some exciting moments and times, but I'm telling you, you have never experienced life truly how we were created to experience it, how we were meant to without him. Therefore, or if then, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. So let's explore what that exactly means. Like, well, yeah, look at the things above, Matt. Probably things in the Bible, things about Jesus. Let's go a little deeper than just that. What does that mean? The Greek word for seek implies to seek in order to find. It's not just like, hey, I'm trying to find that old sweater from, you know, whenever. If you're older, it's that old football sweater that your wife wants to throw out all the time. Or it's that old hunting cap that was your lucky hat that you got your best deer from. Or, you know, that, that memento from childhood that you're like, it'd be kind of cool to find it. You're not really sure. So you just kind of piddle around in the garage for a minute trying to find it or the shop. You're not really trying to find it. No, this is seeking in order to find. Like, I need, have to find this, like your wallet or your keys. It's seeking in order to find it. It's to aim at. It's to strive at. It's not, a, I'm going to sit around and let it come to me. It's actively pursuing seeking. A concentration and persistent effort. A meditation and reasoning with our minds or intellect. It's similar to as if somebody is studying for a specific degree or career. I think of the medical profession and the years and years and training and training that they have to go through to become licensed nurse or doctor or practitioner or whatever their field of study is, especially the specialist in surgeons. The years and years and years it takes of practice and time of going into that. Seeking the things that are above are a lifelong, persistent, consistent, intellectual choice that we have to make daily. What are those things above? Well, let's look at Philippians 4.8. It's the next book to your left in your Bible. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Now, we could probably spend about four weeks just on that verse. We don't have time to this morning. Don't worry. I have a place to be afterward too, so you're in good hands. Don't worry. But think about that. Lay that framework over what you watch on TV on a regular basis. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, moral excellence. Lay that framework over what you listen to. Lay that framework over what you search on social media and browse on the internet. Can we even lay that over the news? (laughs) We won't go there. Whatever is pure, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, morally excellent, praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. Now, in no way, shape, form, or fashion are we to just hole up in some monastery or in some cave and only be in this all day. 
context of Scripture is very clear on that. But what we choose to do with our time in our spare time makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. See, the things above that are listed here in Philippians 4.8 that Paul is talking about in Colossians, Paul also being the author of Philippians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is not just the characteristics and traits of what we are to aspire to, but it's also, more importantly, it's Christ himself. Is there anything or anyone that is more pure, lovely, commendable, praiseworthy, morally excellent than Jesus? There isn't. So we could say it another way then. If then we have been raised or saved by Christ, we must concentrate and use our intellect, our heads, to daily go after that which is most important, Jesus Christ. See, friends, we must get to know him better. And in order to get to know anyone better, we must pursue them. We must seek them. The more we understand about that significant other person, that friend, that spouse, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that family member, the more we get to know them, the more we are affectionate and loving towards them. Is this not also true with Christ? Sometimes separate these. We think, well, that's a vertical relationship. These are horizontal relationships. Relationships are relationships. This one is significantly more valuable and important. But we go about getting to know him in a similar way. Spending time with him, coming to know him better, pursuing him. As many of you know, we homeschool our our boys. My wife, of course, leads 99.9% of this endeavor. I'm the 0.1% if they need to go to the principal's office. You know, we have many parent-teacher conferences as my wife will be talking to herself on the side or, um, you know, the kids will comment about how the principal and their teacher make out sometimes. All sorts of things go like that, go on in our house. But on this one occasion, one of our sons was having a hard time sitting still and getting his work done. And now we have all boys, so I, as you can imagine, and as many of you know, boys do not have the spiritual gift of sitting still. Not that that is an actual spiritual gift, but you know what I'm getting at. We will often encourage them to focus. Hey, hey, if you'll just focus and get your schoolwork done, if you just focus on this chore and get it done, you'll be able to move on and play and do the thing that you really want to do. Just, just focus and apply yourself. You'll get it done. So this day, though, this certain day, with this certain boy, nothing was getting through. And so my wife was like, okay, I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to work on some stuff over here and give you a chance to kind of work through this. You're on your own. And so she stepped away, was working on something else. And just a short time later, he came up to her and he's like, hey, I'm all done. She's like, you're all done with that assignment? He's like, no, I'm done with all of my school in the day. And she's like, wow, great job. What changed? What happened? He said, you know, I realized I just needed to concentrate. Good to know. Concentrating is more valuable to him than focusing. He needed to just concentrate. It's in that same way 
we need to seek or concentrate on Christ and the things above. And see, Christ is not about giving us this book that keeps us from having fun and enjoying life. He's the giver of life. You want proof? Look at the sunrise. Look at the sunset. Look at the flowers. Look at the animals playing. That's all the proof we need. Why wouldn't we choose to come to know Him and choose to pursue Him and seek Him, the greatest source of life, the greatest source of joy, the greatest source of pleasure? It's like the missionary that studies Scripture and the culture they're moving into before moving, like the mom who chooses to put her family above herself time and time again because she studied God's Word. She has the knowledge and realizes that this is what she is called to do. The father, who is more concerned about the spiritual growth of his family and his kids than their accolades in sports. It is the knowledge of pursuing what is right and doing the right thing that propels them and helps them stay in the race and persevere when things are hard. And then as that mom, that dad, that missionary, you, me, choose to do the right thing based on what we know about Christ and his word, our hearts and our emotions, they will line right up and follow and help spur us into that action. Author and speaker Jen Wilkin puts it this way, the heart will not love what the head does not know. I love that quote. The heart will not love what the head does not know. Seeking the things above will infuse us with the knowledge we need so that not only our hearts will love that which Christ loves, but it will also sustain us through the times of suffering and trials. As Brian shared with us last Sunday, if you were here during a particularly difficult season of their life of just one trial and tribulation after another, I've literally curled up in the fetal position calling out, Jesus, be with me, so he could go to sleep. Jesus, be with me. It's because his head knew where he needed to go and to whom he needed to go to make it through that moment, even though his heart did not feel it and his body did not feel it. We can further explore these things above through a quick review of chapter 1. Seeking the things above begins with Christ, as we saw in verses 1 through 7. Paul began the latter, this letter by establishing his identity in Christ and addressed, it to the letter, addressed the letter to the saints in Christ, reminding them and us of our identity in Christ. And then in verses 9 through 14, how we seek the things above is through prayer, study, and thanksgiving. Paul, being a more mature believer than this young church that he originally penned this to, set an example for the new believers, letting them know that he never stopped praying for them. And in his prayer, specifically praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Where would that come from? God's Word. 
prayer, studying God's word is what strengthens us in God's power. And then in the latter part of that prayer that they'd be overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. It's our thankfulness for God's work in us through Christ as our appropriate response in worship. Verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1. I'm just going to read them. They're too good to not. He is the image, Christ, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ is all, capital A-L-L, bolded, underlined, and in all, capital A-L-L, bolded, and underlined. He created everything through him and for him. All of the fullness of God dwelled in flesh through Christ. And because of this, he was able to atone for all of our rebellion against him all of our sin. Once and for all, for every man, woman, and child who chooses to receive his grace. One commentator put it this way, that seeking heavenly things, seeking the things above, is not about seeking heavenly geography, but seeking the one who dwells there. If it is about seeking the one above, it begins and ends with Christ, as we just read in those verses. We seek him through prayer and through studying his word and we respond in thanksgiving. If then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, Christian. Let's look at verse 2. We won't take as long in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, at a first glance here, it seemed that Paul's saying the same thing, just throwing a different word in there, or a different version of the word of seek and set. But our English language, again, is so limited. It's so limited in the explanation. And so let's look at that a little bit closer. The Greek word for set here implies a different meaning. It's to set your mind on things above means to feel or cherish the same view as what you are setting your minds on. To feel or cherish. Do you hear the heart here? The emotion here? To set your affection on. In other words, that our hearts or emotions would love what our heads come to know. Seeking the things above will cause us to move towards God and act according to his will. When we do not actively seek the things above, we will rely on on those earthly or worldly things. In fact, let me say it differently. We will default towards those earthly and worldly things. You see, because we are born with that propensity to rebel against God. It is in our nature. 
just as much as the blood is that flows in our skin and in our vessels, that our heart pumps, so is our propensity to sin. And if we are not actively seeking the things above, growing in our knowledge of Christ, we will drift. Just like if you are trying to go up a stream, if you quit paddling or quit walking, you will go down. If you have been a believer for any amount of time, you know this is true in your heart. When you quit getting in his word, when you quit praying, when you quit engaging with his church, his body, whether here or your local church, you will feel that drift. You will feel that distance. And we'll often think, well, where's God in this? I don't feel anymore. It feels like you're so far away. And the reality is, is he's always been there. You're just drifting away. Why should we seek the things above with our minds or set our minds on things above with our hearts? I mean, God graciously warns us in his word. Here's just three of them. Things of the earth are temporary, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, whereas the things above are eternal. Invest in the things that are going to be destroyed by moths and rust, vapor and the wind. Or invest in that which is eternal. Things of the earth are disastrous. They're destruction. Whereas the things above are salvation. And 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us that. When you pursue or default into, drift into the things of the world, tell me, how does that go? How did that hangover treat you the next day? How did that withdrawal from the substance go? How did that go when that boy or that girl posing as a man or a woman left you? Or that career that you put all of your effort and time into and you get laid off? Or you're suddenly not valuable anymore because of your age? Tell me, how do those things work out? We, and I do this too. We get so enamored and wrapped up in the things that we can see right here in front of us. And we are wasting our lives. Things of the earth are an enemy of Christ. Christ. As it says in James 4.4. 4. Whereas the things above are his friends, his brothers, his sisters. Fellow believers, will you seek the things above with your heart and with your mind? Will you quit Drifting into the things of this world that will be gone like the leaves of fall.
seeking Christ with our intelligence and our emotions, with, with our minds and our hearts, is, is like a one-two punch combo, if you will, with the desired effect of making a lasting and ongoing impact on our lives. But to put it another way, if, we're, if our minds and intellect are like the frame and components of a vehicle, our heart and emotions are like the engine. You need both. God created us with both, and we need to employ and use both. Verse 3 of our text tells us that we have died, died to our sinful worldly self, so we are hidden and protected and encapsulated in Christ if we have. And then in verse 4, we're reminded that as a new creation in Christ, He is our life. He is our hope. He is eternal. He is not temporary. And one day, we will appear with Him in glory. Meditate on this. Preach this to yourself. When you get up in the morning, if you get up in the morning and recognize and realize we are eternal, our souls are eternal, these physical bodies are not, but our souls are eternal, and our eternity is set with Christ if we know Him as our Lord and Savior. If you start your day with just that thought, I can only imagine the different perspective you'll have on that day, no matter what life throws at you. That it is about eternity, not the meeting with the boss today, not your evaluation at work, not those rowdy kids at school, not that tractor that never starts, not whatever it is. Eternity in mind. Valentine's Day is coming up in five days. You're welcome, men. And wives, you're welcome <laughs> for reminding them. They have no excuse now. It's a holiday dedicated to appreciating the love that we have for our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend. However, if we only loved that significant person in our lives with our heads, it would be dry and inconsiderate. I am supposed to get you chocolate and flowers today, and here you go. Don't do that, guys. Don't do that. Furthermore, if we only love with our emotions, it will be inconsistent and unstable because the hard times will come. And the relationship will not last. But if we love with both our heads and our hearts, we can love and show our love how God intended and created us to. Love according to 1 Corinthians 13. Don't mistake this for any other kind of like. We're talking about the love where you choose to put them above yourself, where you choose to serve them. It is about them, not you. When you get return, it's bonus. I promise you, if you do, you will. Christ loved without expecting return. He modeled this for us. That's why love is a choice. So let us seek the things above, namely Christ, with every molecule of our intellect, every brain cell. 
Let us set our minds on things above, solidifying our knowledge with every fiber of our hearts and our emotions. So that we have that knowledge and the passion to completely love and serve our Savior. I'm going to skip a couple things here. Just, you know what to do. You know what to do in your heart. I don't need to go over them again. Turn off your phones, things like that, your TVs. I'm not saying throw them away. I'm saying manage it. Turn off the notifications. Facebook is temporary. Christ is eternal. Elections are temporary. Christ is eternal. I do need to say this though, and I truly believe with my whole heart that every single person here today is here for a reason. There is a reason you're here. It's not random chance. It's not a schedule mishap. It's not, oh wow, the alarm randomly woke me up this morning and it never does on a Sunday. I guess I'll go to church. Maybe that's how it started. I can promise you <laughs> it's way more than that. God has you here for this reason, for a reason. I want to speak specifically to any of you here this morning that may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you are coming to terms and realizing that the things of the earth that you have been trying to fill the hole in your heart are nothing but temporary failures leading you to destruction. You can have fun for a season and a time, but at the end of the day, you still got to wake up, look in the mirror, and wonder, is this all it is? Is this what it's about? If you don't believe in Christ as your Savior, then you must believe that you're here by accident, right? Some evolutionarily random act of evolving. Is that really what you want to live for? Some random act or would you rather trust in the one who created you for purpose and reason and has a plan for you who is not saying do all these things to know me who is saying no I did them for you I humbled myself and came to earth Jesus talking here not me and lived and breathed had emotions and sweat and tears and bloody knees and calloused hands from working in a wood shop. Who went on a mission trip the last three and a half years of his life going from town to town to town preaching the good news. And then ultimately going to the cross. Because our sin requires payment. Our earthly nature, the things we drift into, requires a payment. And he knew you couldn't do it. He did it for you. So today, eternity in the balance. 
is your moment of decision. Bigger than any Super Bowl or any other moment in your life, the absolute biggest and most important decision you can make ever. Would you choose to just receive that? Would you choose to believe in him? Would you choose to recognize you need him? It's, it's that simple. It's those things echoing in your heart to him. Would you all mind to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute? If you would like more words than what I just said, just a simple prayer that you can pray is this. Jesus, I'm lost without you. I see that this morning. You've shown me the truth of what I've been trying to do on my own. And I see that it's only you who can help. It's only you who can save me. It's only you who can give me the purpose that I have been trying to find in these other things. So today, this morning, I choose you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I receive your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. I confess that my way is not the right way. Would you come into my life? Would you change me? Would you help me to seek you with my mind and to set my mind on you and things above with my heart and my emotions? We rarely do this here. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, but I just felt very compelled in preparing for this morning that I just needed to ask this morning that if you prayed that prayer, would you slip your hand up? Only I'll see. Father, we humbly just come before you in awe of your love and your grace. Lord, every, every other man-made religion tells us we have to do all of these things to achieve perfection or holiness or someday make it to a paradise of sorts. But you, you did that for us. Yes, Lord, we have the privilege and honor of loving you in response. By no means does your grace keep us from not loving you through our obedience, but Lord, you set forth this plan of motion, not us.
and it's by you alone that make this possible. So we thank you. I thank you for the new salvation here this morning. I know that the angels in heaven are rejoicing as I know I am. Lord, I thank you also for those who already know you in our salvation. This should be, this alone should fill our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness each and every day that we are saved, that you have saved us. Lord, we give you all the glory and the credit and the honor. And we thank you, Lord, that you're there to walk with us each day. This life is hard. We still live in a fallen world even though we know you. But you're there with us. You give us your word to guide us. To help us grow in our knowledge of you. 